Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan. And uh, we're going out to Ohio. This is via Skype. I have Ty and Eli here with me. They are getting ready to launch their podcast on conspiracy theory. They want you to look into the void and see what's real. They want to drag you out of the darkness. And they say, don't look too deep into the void, because if you do, the void will be looking right back at you. So Ty and Eli, what is going on around here? What's up, man? How's it going? Thanks for having us on, Alan. So tell us a little bit about like what you want to do with the podcast. Okay, so um, the name is going to be Illuminate the Void. Um, we we wanted something that would kind of reflect both the the rabbit hole, um, you know, nature of it, what what we want to explore, um, conspiracies, you know, far reaching, um, you know. Uh, ideas and, and conspiracies um essentially and what we want to do with it which is illuminate it um you know go into every nook and cranny kind of decipher um between what is you know um Act bad information good information um and you know we're we're really excited it's something that we're really interested in uh, the main topics uh, are are going to be conspiracies. Um, we are going to probably dip into some music um, as well, um, and just anything else that we find fascinating. Um, I, I think there, should, there could probably be a little bit of true crime in there too. Um, Look out, though, because that's that's a hot topic for podcasting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's definitely a need to, to, to differentiate and not be just another true crime podcast because, uh, you know, just trying to do that. There's, you know, we, we got to have we got to have something that, you know, not everyone else has. Um, and that's that's what we're going for. Um, me and Ty decided to start a podcast around conspiracies um, for, for a couple of reasons. One of them is that um, we, uh, you know, we have really good conversation, um, around conspiracies. We're both into them, but we also don't, uh, exactly see eye to eye on, on everything. We, we almost always find some points of contention on, um, on each subject that we end up researching. And so we thought, you know, uh, after having these conversations for as long as we have, we kind of realized it would be good for, for a podcast format to go back and forth, you know, go through information. We're both real big into rational thought. Um, we're both real big. Logical into, guys. Yes. yes. Yeah. And that's the thing about it. And I, I don't want to take anything away from you introducing what you, oh, no. what, yeah. what you're doing is, um, you know, there, there are most certainly two types of people and there's logical and emotional. And so anytime we have like the Texas shooting breakout, we have everyone who is emotional, they yes. immediately jump out of the gate. And then Correct. people who are logical, they wait for fact. Yes. And so yes. It's, it's really good to be logical, but it's also good to have those emotional people because we need them. We need each other because if it was all logical, it would be all binary. It would be ones and zeros. Right. Exactly. And if you strip... You know, if you completely strip it down to where there's no human emotion involved, who are you gonna, who are you gonna, you know, get get to? Who are you gonna have take you seriously? Because you know, everyone has has that 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 emotional part to them. But 
but you know our thought is that i mean it's just it's exactly what you said when something like the texas shooting happens or any of the other dozens of shootings that have gone on in the past 20 years you know the 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 media is essentially given you know given the outline for how to report it how to spin it you know and it and seems like the majority of people run run with that yeah, and that's, that's a big thing for me with this podcast is I see with mainstream media, they will skim just the top layer of information, whereas me and Eli, we want to go to the bottom. We want to get everything. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. And I'll tell you this is, uh, you know, when I started Porch Talk, um, I had left Mobile, which is on the south side of the state of Alabama, and I moved back to my hometown. And... I was having these conversations on the porch with my friends, and this was when I wanted music. I wanted to talk about the news. I wanted to talk about things that are cultural, kind of like kind of same story of y'all. But I was just seeing a big problem with the way that media and news was being presented, and it wasn't being represented honestly. They weren't yeah. giving you they weren't giving you everything. They were just giving you a narrative. It was almost like the news became an opinion piece of not giving you the news, but telling you how to think. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I think a good example that kind of distills down what my, um, my and Ty's kind of shared notion of what, uh, what information gathering should look like is that I remember when the shooting happened in New Zealand at, at, at the mosque, um, and I, I forget exactly how many people lost their lives. I know it was over 50, um, but, you know, there were there were two aspects of that that I wanted to, to touch on um, to demonstrate how, how I think. The first one was that I um, intentionally, you know, and this might be controversial, both of these, but the first one is that I intentionally sought out the footage because, you know, it was a, it was a live streamed uh, event. Um, and I, I intentionally sought out the footage and I downloaded it because I'm very anti-censorship. And I believe that if, you know, it, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, however horrific the event was, and of course it was, you know, here is a... Um, here's a, it's a, it's a, um, an unbiased look at the situation because, you know, the shooter filmed it while he was doing the shooting. So it can't be, I mean, it can be spun, you know, but it it can't, it can't exactly be, um, made into a lie. You know, what you see is kind of what you get. And since I believe that the news is really compromised, media is really compromised as far as how they deliver truth to us, it was important to me to make sure that that video was saved because I knew that they were trying to censor it off, you know, off the internet. And I understand that, you know, that might be hard, hard for some people to uh, swallow, but you know, that for me was real big because, you know, once they take it away, once they censor that completely and remove it, they can say whatever they want about it. And you don't know if they're, they're telling the truth or not, you know, that's right. Uh, And, that's right. And they, and the news and media have been exposed enough times to be liars that I feel it is very important to find the the most accurate, unbiased, unemotional information that as I can, you know, and, and from then kind of go on into the, you know, foray into the emotional logic and things like that. Um, 
And the other thing about the New Zealand shooting I wanted to touch on was that, you know, the big thing around it at the time was that, you know, don't say his name and don't share his, um, you know, his manifesto and, and don't talk about how he had all these memes, you know, printed on the side of his gun, subscribe to, to PewDiePie, you know, uh, shit like that. Um, well, you know, to me, that seems really relevant. You know, how could uh, how could this guy who seemingly is treating this event like it's, you know, a video game or something to just laugh and joke about because, you know, the, his gun was completely covered in topical memes of the time. Of course, of course, he live streamed, he live streamed the event, you know, and for me, you know, I feel like it's important to 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 try at least to try my best to figure out why he did that, you know, because how, um, how, how are we ever going to stop people like this? If we don't understand anything about how they think or how they believe, um, you know, and so the fact that they have these, these manifestos that they tend to write, you know, and it, it, I think it really does them a disservice because it, you know, it really lays bare, the machinations of their mind and you know and it it usually boils down to okay they're just racist you know or 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 whatever it it usually is pretty simple but without having that manifesto without having that evidence without seeing it for myself and evaluating it how am i supposed to know yeah because i mean you're literally taking the media for their word and the unique thing about the media in the united states apart from other countries in the world was it wasn't state propaganda until recently. Right. Right. And so uh, before we dig off any deeper, I want to do a little personal interviewing with y'all. Uh, how did y'all two meet? And like, I mean, what's going on around here? How'd y'all become boys? Um, I mean, Eli, do you care? I mean, no, I- man. Go All ahead. Right. and Yeah, just cool. give it. Get, go ahead and... Full speed ahead, you know, we didn't talk about this, but this, this, this is going to be fun, man. <laughs> so go ahead. They're naked. Um, we actually met in a treatment center for drug and alcohol addiction. Um, me and Eli are actually recovering heroin addicts. Um, we met, what, six, seven months ago? Yeah, six. Around and uh, immediately we just hit it off, man. We had so much in common. We were just on the same brain brain length. Like mm-hmm. we just clicked, um, and it just went from there, you know. And it built into a huge friendship. Um, and yeah, we just there's so much in common. We get along so well from music to conspiracies. Um, we ain't afraid to hurt each other's feelings. We, you know, I mean, it's good. It's good to have a guy that'll bust your balls. I mean, that's the good thing about the guy community, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm always giving them shit. You know, I always (laughs) probably a little too much, but you know, yeah, we we're uh, Ty and I are both from from Cincinnati. We we live a little bit about an hour north of Cincinnati right now, but we're both from the same relatively small area of Cincinnati. We didn't know each other, but we we ran with all the same people, you know, basically the drug abusing community. So we know we knew a lot of the same people, but somehow we we never ended up meeting until we ended up in treatment um uh, back in in, a, in a, like around January or somewhere around there. Um and you know, it, 
my experience growing up, you know, I'm, I'm 26. He, he just turned 30 not too long ago. And my experience growing up was largely marked by a, a real frustration that I was unable, I was seemingly unable to find like-minded people like myself who were more interested in really getting the objective truth than just confirming their predispositions or their predilections for what the truth should be or they want it to be. It seems like it seems like a, a large portion of people that I have met in my life. Um, you know, I mean, you, you've heard the phrase, don't confuse me with the facts. Um, and it's kind of a cliche, but it's like, you know, a lot of people really think like that. And sure. a lot of people just, they seek out media, you know, designed to confirm what they already want to believe or what they already think is going on. Whereas I am someone who, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to put myself above anybody or anything like that. I'm just simply outlining the difference between my thought process and others, which is that, you know, even if the truth hurts my feelings, essentially, I want to know the truth, you know, um, what, what's the point of, of feeling good or feeling secure in a truth if, if it's a lie, you know, so I'm, I'm a truth seeker above all else. And I, I, I found that rare in other people I've ran across, particularly people in their twenties like me. Um, and Ty was someone who was you know, exactly the same as me in that regard. Now, the information we run across, a lot of the times we, you know, uh, look into it differently, we comprehend it differently, we draw different conclusions, but that's some of the fun of discourse, you know, is is that whole experience. But the, but the, the, the main uh, part of it for me is that we're both searching for the truth. And so everything is in service to that. Right on. Anything you'd like to add to that? No, he pretty sum he he summed it up perfectly, pretty much. So, and so let let me ask you this: is because like with all the sh the mass shootings that we've had going on in the United States, if you take Buffalo or if you go to Texas right now, is I don't believe that we are addressing the problem. Is uh, I believe it's not a gun problem; it's a cultural problem. Yeah, it's a it's a home problem i don't think we have fathers in the home anymore i don't think yeah. that we i don't think that we have father figures and so when you learn the backstory of the shooter it he should have been in an asylum somewhere right right uh, he, he shouldn't be taking part in the public no and i had read somewhere too that the three most deadliest shootings in u.s history occurred where the shooter was taking Prozac or Zoloft. Um, so yes. I, uh, the biggest issue is mental health, which gets yes. a lot in this country. It has such a stigma around it. Elon? We're, we are not taking care of the young men in our country. No, we're not. Like, we, we are not. Uh, we don't have enough role models. They are being left out in the cold. And of... Uh, and then with everything going on in the culture today, and you see all this, it goes all the way back to Aurora, Colorado, back when the Batman, the Joker film was showing, and you had that wildcat jump in there and do all that. It, it, go, it goes back further than that. We are failing our American families at home. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so, you know, for me, um, and I'm just going to speak about the shootings kind of in in a generalized sense rather than any one specifically, but I'm talking about like basically from Columbine forward, right? So from, from the nineties forward, um, you know, it, for, for, for the first thing, um, first thing I want to say is that it's a, it's a multifaceted issue, you know? Um, and again, that's something that media tends to do is distill it down to one thing. Oh, it's just about second amendment rights. Oh, it's just about mental health, you know, whatever. When really all of it realistically plays into it, you know, to a degree, um, I would say the lesser problem is the problem of accessibility to guns. Um, I think it's, you know, I'm generally pro second amendment. I, I believe that if you're an adult and you're mentally sound, you should be able to have a gun in this country. I think where the, where the issue comes up there is that somehow these guys keep failing these fucking background checks or whatever it is. They, they keep failing these fail safes. The fail Most safes of are these not, people are already on an FBI watch list though. Right. It's, yeah. That's. So, what, what, you know. Go ahead. So, so we have these we have these fancy fail safes that are put in place that theoretically should stop anybody who you know, like like Nicholas Cruz, you know, who who is just a total wacko. You know, theoretically, it shouldn't be a problem to say, no, you can't buy a fucking gun. But, you know, here, but here it is. And it keeps happening over and over and over. And it's, this is the only country where it happens as often as it does. You know, I mean, there's, you know, that's not the, true. It, it, it goes in like this is something statistically that uh, we don't like to talk about. Uh, oh, El okay. Salvador. It, oh. it, hap- it happens more rapidly there. It also happens more rapidly in other third world countries that the United States doesn't like to compare itself to for that reason. I can see that. I can see that. Now, to be clear, when, I, when I'm talking about mass shootings, I'm talking about however the, the general – however it's generally defined. And if it's uh, – I forget what the actual definition is, but it's like – It's you know, plus – it's plus four. Right, right. So – Plus four, correct. So if you're going by that definition, I know that I know there's at least uh, in the past couple of years, there's been at least one for every day of of the year. I don't know if that uh, how that compares to El just Salvador. go to Chicago on the weekend. Right. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but you know, but yeah. again, the media doesn't latch on to those because that's uh, a it, it largely doesn't fit their narrative. No. Right. That's largely and a lot of it is based in, you know, poverty stricken, predominantly African-American neighborhoods. And you see. Yeah. Yeah. It's gang violence. Right. Which, you know, I guess isn't worth uh, reporting on or something. But um, I guess uh, the only other thing and the only other um, I didn't know that about El Salvador, though. So that's that's interesting. I've, I've, I've been there twice and I stayed in the capital in San Salvador and uh, the hotel we were staying in used to be a brothel. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, just sitting outside on the patio, smoking a cigar with some friends of mine. And in the distance, there was violence. Yeah. And we were there for four days. And every night it persisted. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, like, I don't know if it's still true, but it was Sal- San Salvador, El Salvador used to be the murder capital of the world. I haven't looked right. at the numbers lately, but it, it the trend doesn't change. Right. No. Um 
I mean, that whole Central America, El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, that's all very cartel heavy. Very cartel heavy. So I think that a lot of the shootings will be contributed to cartel-related business. And one of the biggest conspiracies, I believe, is that the cartels were put into power by the CIA to traffic drugs and weapons. Well, I mean, look at the fentanyl crisis we have right now. Exactly. Oh, don't get me started on that. (laughs) That has killed so many people. I come from a very small town in Kennedy. Our little community is suffering, and I'm in a bigger town now. I'm in Columbus, Mississippi, and and I live and work in Starkville, Mississippi. And it's there. It is heavily impacting the community, and it disparages rural areas in the south. It used to be yeah. meth. Now it's yeah. fentanyl. And now right. they're they're lacing even marijuana with fentanyl. And like I know a lot of got crack, cocaine, all that. It's being laced with fentanyl. It's killing yeah. it's killing them. Well, yeah. I mean now with that, I don't think dealers are intentionally lacing them with fentanyl. I think it comes from cross contamination. Because if, if they if they're dealing in fentanyl, chances are they're dealing in cocaine, marijuana, other drugs. And I'm just going to tell you, they're probably not changing drugs after they're doing a batch before they do another. Fair. Um, you know, because I just I don't see the benefit to them killing off their customer base. That's just me. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it's it, it's it's largely based off of you know sloppiness using the same scale to sell crack, to sell meth, to sell fentanyl, and people who don't use opioids like at all, you know, um, really almost any amount of fentanyl is enough to kill them, you know. So even if it's just a slight amount of residue, you know, there have been cases of paramedics and police officers overdosing from touching it, you know. So so if you have someone who is going to smoke meth or smoke some crack and and the scale was contaminated with fentanyl before that, which I can tell you, you know, most dealers, you know, I've I've known, you know, hundreds of them and I've been one myself and generally there's no, you know, you don't really you don't really put in the effort to, um, you know, clean the scale off real nicely with, um, you know, <laughs> uh, like wind, Windex or something. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't know, man. But, but I mean, fentanyl is just, I mean, fentanyl is just wild because even in, in, in opioid heavy users, opioid tolerant users like myself, you know, I've been using opioids for, for over 10 years. Um, and, um, fentanyl has caused me to overdose six times. Uh, it's also killed my last two girlfriends. Um, uh, it killed my, my, my ex-girlfriend Haley, who was 21. And then after that, it killed my ex-girlfriend Caitlin, who was 18 at, at the time. Um, and so, you know, it's getting closer and closer to home, you know, for, for a long time, you know, I was in the drug communities uh, for a long time. So of course, you know, I heard of tangential, you know, deaths that were, you know, just people that I knew or or a friend of a friend, but, you know, it's gotten to the point where if you are a drug user, you know, um, in, at least in Ohio, I can tell you for a fact, there is not anyone in Ohio who hasn't, um, been addicted to opioids or who who hasn't been addicted to meth or who has, I mean, and has not known someone personally to die of an overdose. I mean, we all have now, you know. 
it's it's an absolute epidemic up here. Yeah. And I don't I can't speak for Alabama, so I am curious to hear. Um, up here, we're getting reports of a synthetic opioid that's being put in fentanyl. It, they're calling it Frankenstein, and it's what did they say? Forty to sixty times more potent than fentanyl. It's five, five, the, five, uh, five to forty. Five to forty times. It's just, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Matter of fact, it was just about two or three weeks ago when I first started hearing about Frankenstein, and that actually came from friends of mine that I have in law enforcement, and so it is most certainly here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm telling you, it's like I'm sure our experience, even though I'm from Alabama in the south and y'all in Ohio, I believe our high school experience was exactly the same in that regard with that was first exposure, whether it was being, uh, you know, out at the party and it was there or you had a buddy who was an athlete who got hurt and you got to try some of his opioids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's really what, um, you know, that's really what what burns me the most up about this, man, is that that's how, you know, for me, just to to stereotype myself a little bit, you know, I'm a a younger white suburban kid. Right. Um, My family by no means is wealthy, but I lived in a nicer area of town. You know what I'm I like? my point is I didn't grow up around gang violence. I didn't grow up around drug dealers. I didn't grow up with drug addicts for, for parents. You know, my parents aren't even divorced for God's sake. My parents are still married. You know, that's rare enough. And yet, and yet, and yet here I am over 10 years deep into a heroin addiction. It's like, how'd it happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. I was 16 years old. I got my wisdom teeth out and they prescribed me Norco, which is another uh, brand of, um, Lord, Vicodin, yeah, yeah, Lord to have same thing. Um, but you know, and um, it's like access to those pharmaceutical opioids that they, you know, the first Purdue and the Sackler family just pushed them like crazy. And you know, starting in the nineties, they just told everyone, they told the doctors that it's not addictive. This oxycotton stuff, this insanely, insanely powerful, uh opioid is non-addictive right so the doctors start they give kickbacks to the doctors for prescribing them you know and obviously there's whole documentaries on that that you can go look up to confirm all this but so they get an entire generation essentially hooked on on oxycontin and then by the time i was growing up which uh, i'm talking around the early 2010s 2010 2011 2012 at that point they're still kind of giving opioids out like candy and so just for a simple wisdom tooth extraction you know i got something like 30 norco which is you know we're not at all uh, you know called for um and so my exposure to that sent me obviously on this journey where now i'm at the point where i've lost girlfriends from fentanyl overdoses i've overdosed on fentanyl six times i've gotten felonies i've done time and you know uh, all countless times i've been to jail you know and so but my point is like they, so, so they started out a whole generation of us on this, right, where we had we felt the after effects of what Purdue and the Sacker family did, which was get a whole bunch of people hooked on these things, right, completely lie through their teeth, you know, uh, and this is a, a, 
a respected pharmaceutical company, a respected billionaire family, lie through their teeth about what these things are going to do to you. And then the government decided to react by just cutting everything off. And then all of a sudden, uh, China, you know, fig- figured out, oh, there's a huge demand for opioids. The demand for opioids, contrary to what the U.S. government seems to think, does not dissipate if you take away pharmaceutical opioids. You know, there's still synthetic yeah. ones, and, you know. So here's um, the thing, Eli, and this is the timeline that I always bring up to people. It's a, a, one of the theories that I almost 100 percent believe is that in the 90s, push pharmaceutical painkillers to anybody and everybody. You got a headache, here's Percocet, right? All the way up into the early 2000s, then we go to war in Iraq, right? And then all of a sudden, we're, we're at war with Afghanistan, and nobody could figure out really any reason why we were there. <laughs> reports are coming out that we're guarding poppy fields. Which we okay. were. It's a cash crop. Somehow that might make a little bit of sense. Immediately following that, there is a complete heroin epidemic in yes. the United States. Correct. That yes. Not correct. Incidents. Now, yes. check this out. Is I don't know how much y'all pay attention. I don't know if y'all have brothers or sisters or just friends with kids now. And what we're dealing with now is we have an Adderall epidemic. Yeah. We we have people who are literally taking amphetamine, and everyone that is. 18 years or younger is like, oh, he's got ADHD. Yeah, it's it's young boys yeah. mainly too, and it's young boys are rowdy and rambunctious. That's just they're, how they're supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, them a medication that is one molecule away from methamphetamine, and I don't think parents are even aware of that. When they start giving it to their kids, I it mean, is- we've we've all seen the meme, right? Where you take like the mask off Adderall or Ritalin, and it's like methamphetamine. It's like let's just yeah. put that back on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, speaking of which, speaking of which, Alan, I don't know if you've uh, if you were aware of this, but methamphetamine is actually still prescribed as an ADHD medication. It's called desoxin, D E S O X Y N, and it is literally like. It's not amphetamine or dextroamphetamine salts like Adderall. It's not methylphenidate like Ritalin. It is methamphetamine. That is pre- now granted. It's not used much anymore, obviously, especially because of the stigma against meth. But um, you know, it is a pharmaceutical drug. Desoxin is a pharmaceutical met- methamphetamine drug. You know, um, diamorphine. They still have cocaine in yeah. where with with uh, nasal surgery. They still to- use fentanyl for anesthetic. Yeah. Oh, dude, dude, I have a, a friend of mine. His his father, his father is in his late sixties, and he didn't understand this, but he has a fentanyl patch. And then they gave him a nasal inhaler in case he ODs. Oh my yeah. God. Narcan. Yeah. Oh uh, yes. And Naltrexone. he he did he didn't understand, and so. We were out at lunch one day, and he was, like, showing us the patch. And I was like, don't show a lot of people that. Yeah. Because right? if someone finds out that you have that, oh, they, they, will, they will break into your house, and they yeah. will rob you. Yes. That's right. And he was like, I don't understand the spray. Like, do I use it? I was like, if you use it, it's going to kill the pain medication for your cancer. Yeah. 
that is me, to, that is to be used like if you're in dire straits. And let me tell you, you let me tell you something interesting about that, Alan. If he needs that nasal inhaler, he'll never get the chance to use it. And I say this as someone who's overdosed six times. You don't have time to realize you're overdosing, man. You don't. Gosh. I've done it six times. I can tell you. There is no there is no case of, of, of ODing that has ever happened to me or that I've ever seen happen to anyone else. Oh, let they me realize, fix myself. Yeah. Where they realized they were getting too high. Because that, that, that's what you would think if you're not a drug user or you're drug naive is that, oh, I'll, I'll feel my breath start to slow down. I'll feel my heartbeat start to slow down. I'll start to feel really sleepy. Mm-hmm. I'll know somehow something's wrong. No. Again, it's happened to me. I've done it six times, man. You do not get the chance to save yourself. If there is no one around you, you will die. You will. You 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 will not. The only reason to for him to have that inhaler is so that hopefully whoever someone's around is right. right. That's the only way. Uh, I mean. So I, I hope they didn't explain to him how to use it on himself because he's never going to get the opportunity to ever. Dude, dude, they explained it so poorly. He thought he right. used it for a pain additive, and I was like, no, right. that'll, that'll kill the pain. Oh, right, that'll put you, him you'll be in, you'll be in pain. Yeah, that'll put yeah. him in severe withdrawal. Yeah, yeah. So uh-huh. yeah, I mean, this the whole the whole medical pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals. Yeah, it's, it's out of line. It, oh, it's yeah. it is outrageous, man. It's uh, and they are making hand over fist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and then and then you got um, then you got these SSRIs, and I'm on an SSRI. I'm on Zoloft. You know, I've been on Zoloft for a long time. It's it's uh, prescribed to me for anxiety and depression. It seems to help pretty well. But, you know, it was only a couple of years ago that I started to realize how young most of these drugs are, man. Most of these drugs only started to get, you know, put out there in the 90s. So no one even knows what these do to you over multiple decades. No one. Now seeing the long-term effects coming right. out is what's... Yeah. They don't bother checking that out first. It's like you are literally a statistic. Yes. In 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 several different ways, in several. And you'll be ill reported, so I believe like what we're talking about right now is extremely important for the public to hear. Yeah, yeah, because you know, and thank I, you for I, being so open about it. Well, yeah, sure, because you know, I'm I'm very passionate about it. I mean, Ty and I, you know, our Ty and I's regular jobs, we both work at a at a treatment center. We're 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 residential. Um, assistance at a treatment center so that that's our job so we we both care very deeply about because it's such a it's such a tragic thing to happen man and the thing about statistics is that i'm just a a number one right and the next guy over over here that's a number one and the other guy over here that's a number one they both have stories that are just as long and just as detailed and just as emotional and just as significant as i do but they're never going to get the chance to tell those stories because they either already uh, died from the from from an overdose or they're or they're in prison you know um i mean it's so we don't have universal health care like we should so a lot of addicts struggle and are homeless because they can't get into treatment. They don't have health care available to them. Okay. 
Okay, one you thing know, I'll say about that is one thing that it's more of a libertarian stance. If you haven't heard of it, it's called uh, uh, crowd health. It's uh, now going in, like if you're homeless, you obviously won't be able, but you opt in with $500. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then uh, anything under 2000 you pay out of pocket, but anything over that, it's crowdfunded with everyone who is a member of crowd health. So there, right. are, there are libertarian-minded uh, groups in healthcare who are going outside of health insurance who are trying to get health care to people. And there are doctors who are so sick of how the pharmaceutical and the drug companies are treating yeah. like yeah. the way that they have to treat patients. Because insurance and all that, it's, it's all a drag. Yeah, like, it, they're, they're taking you. They're taking everyone for what it's worth, and so like I love crowd health. It's crowd funded, but like they have you can't be overweight. You can't be a smoker, right? And then uh, and then like five hundred dollars down, and you pay monthly dues, and like they build up a big pot. And let's just say you get diagnosed with cancer. Well, yeah. you're you're there. And so everyone in that group is going to pull together to pay for your bill. And that's called health. It's called crowd health. Definitely. I mean, as far as, I mean, that matter that of could fact, really let me, I'll, I'll, let me pull it up right now. Let me, I'll, I'll give you some more information. Go ahead. Uh, no, uh, all I was going to say was that that really could only work with those exclusionary factors of, Oh, if you're a smoker or if you're overweight, because obviously, you know, uh, um, first of all, being a smoker or being overweight is to it, some it is, extent. It is crowd health. Crowd okay. health. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, well, like, for example, I'm a smoker, right? So for me to uh, take advantage of a crowdsourcing site like that, when, you know, when I, it's been proven, you know, I know full well what the eventual complications of smoking are, you know, that it, that wouldn't really work, you know? So I really appreciate the idea and I like how they have, you know, I, I mean, you can't just give it to, to anybody, you know, because especially if you're crowdsourcing it, you know, most people in that group are not going to, are not rich, you know, they're not wealthy. Um, so it it only works if it's not abused, you know, that's right. Yeah. So, um, and that just goes to everything. Like, you know, I, I, I'm a smoker too, and I'm trying to quit. Like I'm using the fume, uh, from Canada to help yeah. edge my cravings. Right. And it's like a steampunk, like little wood pop that you hit. It's got like a, uh, it just has like fibers in there. That, like I like menthol cigarettes. And so I have a little, uh, little fiber in there. I hit it. It's called conquer. If you go to fume and look at their, uh, website and you'll hit that and it'll give you everything a menthol cigarette gives you. Wow, and, it, really? it, and, it, and it really does get it done but like it's all natural it's, it doesn't have nicotine it's nothing like when you wow. inhale you're you're not exhaling anything there's nothing there you're just getting like you have that hand motion because you got this steampunk little right. pipe yeah and, you, and yeah. you can like when you go out to a party yeah i mean it, it's fun you know it's like yeah. you can twiddle it on your fingers or whatever right and everybody's like Oh, what is that? And it's like, I'm right. trying to quit smoking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, and it it's that's uh, that's a lot more glamorous than nicotine gum or nicotine patches, man. You know? Well, I mean, I think those nicotine gum and nicotine patches are actually more damaging. And what I've found from like just people I know who've done them, it's actually done a whole lot more harm than good. Oh, really? Like it, it was it, 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 uh, too much nicotine. Yeah, right. And then they went back to cigarettes, and like they were smoking twice as much. Yeah. yeah. She gets used I, to that high amount of nicotine. You, yeah. yeah, and then they and then I, they started smoking with that patch on because they were trying to get some kind of a new high. Right. I've 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 tried both the gum and the patches, and they both failed for the same reasons. And that is that one there. There's no. There's no. You know. There's some kind of an oral fixation, as as Freud described it. You know, when when it comes to smoking a cigarette, putting it in your mouth, taking a drag, putting it away. The patch and the gum don't do that. The gum theoretically does that, but it doesn't for me, uh, you know, so um, so it, it failed in that aspect. And then the other aspect, you know, that's half of the battle is just the movement and the, the ritual of smoking a cigarette, not the actual nicotine itself. Of course, that's a big part of it. But like you said, you know, it's you, the ritual. Get, it's the hand motions. Yeah. Yeah. You just step away from the world. For three to four minutes smoking the ritual and just getting away from everything i think yeah. that i am most addicted to especially because especially because so many jobs that you can only go on a break if you're if you're a smoker yeah that's true that's true just nuts it's nuts man <laughs> so Guys, I'll, hey, I'll, hit a I'll hit a level with y'all. I don't. I don't care if we hit a conspiracy. I think we just. I, I mean, th I think I think we just did a good thing. Yeah, we just <laughs> on a tangent there, but well, yeah. The, the thing I really like about this is that you know I think this is um, not that we don't have the capacity, obviously, to really do a deep dive on stuff because we totally do. But I think this is kind of serves as a good introduction of short sort of our dynamic, the, you know, the way that we approach things and sort of and also just the assortment of topics that that we might cover, you know, because any and all of those are things that we're really informed on and that we would be liable to talk about. So um, I, I don't you know. I mean, my biggest hope for our podcast is even if it's a small, like five or six people that listen to us, as long as they give us like new topics to research, you know, I love learning new ideas, new things. I love researching and investigating, you know, mm -hmm. mind going over topics and ideas I already know about, but I really enjoy finding new things. Oh, I'm, I'm going to tell you this is like, dude, I'm telling you like, we, I, Porch Talk is going to be four years old in August, and oh wow, I, I I love our audience because like they send me articles, they send me parodies, they send me music videos, they send yeah. me things to, they send me songs to make fun of me. I mean, right. it's, I, I love it. It's a great audience, right? But like yeah. they really keep you on your toes, and so uh, sure. man, <laughs> the, the audience is really where it's at, right? Yeah. Like. I don't really sense the need to go any further. I, I would just want to invite y'all on again so we can actually yeah. talk about what we plan to talk about. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I want to walk this thing out of the door and uh, I have three questions. Awesome. So question number one is tell everyone in the audience where they can find y'all social media, 
whether you plug the podcast on Twitter or what does that look like? Uh, Twitter. And uh, the YouTube channel. We have a YouTube channel. We just put them up uh, about a week and a half ago. Our Twitter handle is Duo of the Void. And that's basically at this moment our main platform that you can reach us at. Um, and and that's how we found each other. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to be setting a Facebook page hopefully this week when I find time. Right on. All right. Question number two is of uh, what are the, uh, and we've kind of already covered it, but what are the expectations like as far as content? How much content are y'all going to put out? Is it going to be once a week, twice a week, once a month? What are y'all looking at? Um, we've kind of discussed possibly doing two a week, uh, work permitting, uh, but it's definitely for sure at least one. And we are Eli starting at once per week, correct? Yeah. Um, and that 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 once per week, I would uh, I would imagine anywhere between the hour to two hour mark, more likely right around the ninety minute mark. And number three is what was your favorite part? about this interview go ahead Ty um, I would say honestly getting to know you more being able to reach out you know to somebody who is three or four states away you know someone we have similarities with the same interests you know just being able to chit chat shoot the breeze and just you know enjoy an hour of our time get a break from the whole crazy world that's going on right now you know I yeah, um, I think, uh, and just for me, I think probably my favorite uh, aspect of it was, um, for I mean, for one thing, um, really just the start of what I think is going to be a really rich relationship. You know, I, I really enjoy talking with you, Alan, um, and really just talk, I mean, talking about anything, you know, we were able to go back and forth on several topics. It's always real satisfying just to find someone that you can conversate with like that. Um, right. and then, um, the other thing that I really liked was that I've never actually had the experience of putting out, um, putting out content or having a presence on, on social media. And so this kind of gave me a feel for what it's like to be speaking to an audience, um, and, um, and what I can improve on, you know, what I can amplify, what I can minimize, how I can improve. Um, so I, I think as far as that goes, it was very, very, very helpful. Well, guys, I anticipate having your own immediately. I'm talking like Tuesday next week or something like that. Yeah. And we'll actually get into the topics now that we all know each other. All the boys and girls of Porch Talk know you now, so we can dig back <laughs> in. This has been a great episode, and guys, you're welcome. Thank you all so much. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have you seen your mother, baby, standing in the shadows with a look of indecision on her face? Have you ever wondered how she looked when she was younger and decisions were in things she had to make? Did you see your father, baby, there beside your mother, laughing with his arm around the way? 
Tell me.